Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship today. We're so glad all of you have joined us. If you're streaming us on Facebook or maybe from our website right now, feel free to type in where you're viewing us from, and we'll try to send greetings to you. And uh, anyways, we encourage all of you to continue sending in some of your videos and your messages for the pre-service Uh, presentation that we do with what's going on in your lives right now, you and your families. Uh, Matthew and Rachel, that was fantastic uh, reading the scripture today. Thank you so much. And all of you, why don't we just take a moment and lift our hands to heaven and give thanks to God for this day. Father, we thank you that your grace and your mercy is upon our lives. And we thank you for the spirit of truth, Lord, that you bring to us today. I thank you, Father, that you're revealing yourself to your to your people. And Lord, as we follow your commandments to love one another, I thank you that our hearts are gonna be renewed and refreshed today and that people everywhere are gonna hear and experience the love of Jesus and that many will come to know you through this season of time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, As you know, we've been working through a series on deception, and today we're going to be talking about the Antichrist spirit that's present in the earth. And we know that the Antichrist spirit, it it kind of by definition has to do with Antichrist, you know, opposed to Christ, or something that presents itself in the place of Christ, especially pertaining to his mission, um, the work that he did at the cross, You know, anyone that comes against Christ's deity is absolutely someone operating in an Antichrist spirit. And when you worship something in place of Christ, that's the Antichrist spirit operating. It's in the earth today. And um, I just want to qualify, I'm not talking about the Antichrist, the one that's going to rise up and take his place in the earth in the end days, uh, that man of sin that's going to be revealed. We're not talking about him today. We're just talking about the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit in the earth that is opposed to the nature and the character of Christ. And we, as individuals, we have to learn to operate in discernment because any time that you are operating in the spiritual realm without discernment, you can very easily be misled. So we have to have the spirit of truth inside of us that Jesus gives us at salvation when he comes and indwells in us. So we have Christ living in us, and then we have his discernment to help us to understand truth and lie. And we do this most uh, efficiently and most effectively when we're spending time in his word, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. And people get fooled by things that look real but aren't. I mean, How many of you, as you go through life, you know, you get an email from someone that appears to be an Apple representative and they tell you, if you send us your login and password, we'll fix your Apple account. Or 
Sometimes you'll get this thing on your window screen that says, oh, your machine has been hacked and hijacked, and if you just send us your login, or if you just come here and click this button and allow us access to your machine for $120, we will fix your Windows machine, and then they hijack your operating system. It looks real, but it's fake. And lots of times, even when we're dealing with theology, Sometimes people present it as real, but it's not, it's not truth. That's why it's important that we know what the Word of God says. Don't ever let someone's gifting or their abilities get in the way of understanding their character, because there's a lot of gifted people that have no character. And, you know, for years I shared this in Connect class when we're talking about deception. You know, you'll get the young man that comes into the church or the young woman that comes into the church, but they may not have... Um, other people's best interests in mind. And you know, um, for years I taught this actually, but uh, I'll share it here in the more public setting. There was a young man that came in and he set his eye on this young woman and I remember he had a very poor character reputation in the community. His track record was not very good. And he was rather new to our place and I remember he set his eye on this one young lady and I sat her down with my wife and we explained to her, hey, this guy doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's not good news. Oh, Pastor RJ, thank you for telling me that, but he told me all about this, but he left out some stuff. And, you know, sometimes we know more than we can say. <laughs> but we were cautioning her, you know, that this relationship just moved real slow and trust the Holy Spirit. So, unfortunately, in this case, he really hurt that poor young lady and that really affected her and her relationship with Christ. And I'm very saddened to hear that. But see, people appear a certain way, but it doesn't mean that it's truth. So we have to be able to discern what is deception. Now the Antichrist spirit, it operates with a lot of deception. And one of the things that it produces inside of your life is a wrong belief system. Now, this is something that we see is systematically formed in us through the media and through our education systems, not to mention our personal experiences. Now, I'm gonna give you a shameless plug for next week's message when we go into self-deception. That's what we're gonna be talking about and how your experiences can cause you to believe things that are not true as truth. And we're gonna be talking a little bit more about self-deception, but that's next week. So, when we're looking at wrong belief systems, let's look at this. Mainstream media, they focus on sensationalism and they are kind of, especially the news media, they're designed or their, their whole focus and emphasis is to create polarization or to get people on opposite sides. And then, in this case, division. And when division sells, we know that there's an operating spirit of antichrist in the culture. The spirit of antichrist is operating in the culture. Because division should never sell, division divides. And, and what it does is it pits people against one another. If you're chain watching Netflix right now, because <laughs> you can, you know, that is forming your worldview, especially if you're spending more time in front of the television than you are in God's word, which should be forming our worldview. Your belief system, I assure you, it's being shaped, it's being formed, because every time that we're watching things on the screen, they're putting thoughts and ideas and behaviors into our mind. They're putting concepts into our mind. And unfortunately, there are some people that are very intentional about their worldview, and they want to communicate that to you and to your family so that they can 
actually oppose the nature and the character of Christ, which leads into our next one, human philosophies. This is where we leave God out of the solution. We leave God, sometimes they just leave God out. God doesn't exist, they say. If you remove the moral, <clears throat> excuse me, lawgiver from the culture, if you remove God who gives the moral law, you will have every person determining what is right and wrong in and of themselves. And when every person determines what is right and wrong, that's going to create some problems because my right might be wrong to you and your, wrong, your right might be wrong to me. Heads I win, tails you lose. Are we still wondering why justice seems to have forsaken our land? Are we still wondering why so many people uh, commit crimes and walk free? Are we still wondering why so many innocent victims get victimized on a regular basis? When justice has left the land, it's because we're allowing humanistic philosophy to govern our decisions and our behavior, not the word of God, which is truth. And then that leads us to some empty religious systems. Mankind throughout the ages has tried to please God through dead works or through empty behaviors or through practicing things that they call worship, which is really just ritualistic, stylistic things that they do on a day-in, day-out basis. But I'm going to say this. Any religion that denies the deity of Christ is operating in the Antichrist spirit, which is pretty well all of them except Christianity. And we have to understand Antichrist is when it presents itself as Christ. In other words, so when a religion sets itself up as we're the only way, and it doesn't point to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can approach the Father except through me, he makes a truth claim. And then he backed it up when he rose from the dead, when God raised him up from the dead after being dead for three days when he was crucified. So what happens is any religion that claims its place or claims to be the only way to God or to the higher power or to deity, if it doesn't involve Jesus being God, it's a false religion, but it's also operating within the Antichrist spirit. So we have to look around us and we have to understand that when you see lawlessness operating within a culture, that's a good clue that the Antichrist spirit is present. Notably, Wherever you see lawlessness, the Antichrist spirit is going to be operating. Okay, so where there's lawlessness, you're going to see Antichrist spirit. It's, it's that nature and character that's opposed to Christ. And sometimes it's opposed to his nature. Sometimes it's opposed to his character. Sometimes it's opposed to the work that he did. Sometimes it's opposed to just that he is God. When we disobey God, it's lawlessness. So every time that you sin, you disobey God, that is lawlessness. And lawlessness, besides being a lack of following God's law, it's rooted in rebellion. And ultimately, that rebellion is against God. I'm going to go to my, go to my Bible on my phone here, and I'm going to read this just because it's a little bit lengthy. But I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 16. And I want to explain to everyone, this is a really good story about how rebellion is really against God. Number 16, verse 1. One day Korah, son of Izhar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. So you had some leaders in the nation of Israel, 
And they opted to incite rebellion against God, but really they did it by attacking Moses, who God put in that position. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you're greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Now, Moses was a pretty humble guy. And when he heard what they were saying, he fell down on the ground and he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his presence. So there was this fight going on because uh, the priesthood belonged to Aaron and his, his descendants, the Levites. And these guys, they, they were Levites, but they, they were having a hard time with, well, why is Aaron the one that gets to go in and, and, and light the censer in God's presence? And God had set up a style of worship in the Old Covenant, and he was very particular about his style of worship. And there's a lot of pictures in the Old Testament style of worship that pointed to Christ coming, to the sacrifice that Christ was going to make at Passover. And anyway, the temple on earth represented the, the temple and the throne of God in heaven. So there was some imagery there. There was a type and shadow. So God was very particular about some things, and that was part of the Old Covenant. We don't live in the Old Covenant today. Korah and all your followers must prepare your incense burners, light fires in them tomorrow, and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses, chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, does it seem insignificant to you that God of Israel has chosen you from among the community to be near him so you can serve in the tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Corey's already given you this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? So they were serving in the house of the Lord, but the enemy got in, the Antichrist spirit that didn't exist really then because Christ hadn't come. But the enemy came in and he brought division into the body, to the general assembly. And then you've got this, you've got this division coming in through Satan and it's taking leaders and it's pitting them against leaders. It's taking leaders and it's pitting them against authority that God had established. The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against, for who is Aaron that you're complaining about him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us in the wilderness, and now you treat us like your subjects? Man, they were a little bit deceived. You can see how quickly, you know, People get out of God's plan for their life because they get their attention off of Jesus and onto the pecking order. They get their attention onto, you know, what's going on around them with other people. You know, that's why it's so important for us. We should look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We should look to Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And when we're looking to Jesus, when we're looking to his word, we're not going to get distracted by this person or that person or what they're doing or what they're not doing or even when someone else gets a promotion or when something good happens to someone else, we should be rejoicing with them, not jealous. But sometimes, you know, that spirit that Dathan and Abiram were operating in, that, that competition and that desire for things that were not assigned to us. You know, one thing I, I'm, I'm very confident in and I've learned over the years is God has given me an assignment for my life. And I always want to make sure that I am faithful to the assignment that he's given me. I don't want to do your assignment. I need to do my assignment. And you should be focused on the assignment that God has given you. And each assignment comes with a start and an end. And when we finish our assignment, we go on to the next thing that God has for us. 
Anyways, they're talking about how he brought them out of Egypt. In verse 15, Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their grain offerings. I've not taken so much as a donkey from them, and I've never heard a single one of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourselves before the Lord. Aaron will also be here, and you and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it, so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit a fire, and placed incense on it. And that was really the priest's job, but they wanted Aaron's job. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred the entire community against Moses and Aaron. I'm going to tell you something about a bad attitude. <laughs> it spreads quick. It's like a cancer. It's like a poison. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy them. I think God was pretty unhappy with the rebellion. But Moses and Aaron fell down on the Lord and they interceded. They basically stood in the gap between God and the people and said, Oh God, you're the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? The Lord said to Moses, Then tell the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up, he rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything that belongs to them, and if you do, you will be destroyed by their sins. So the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrance of their tents, together with their wives and children and little ones. They were all in agreement together against God and his authority, Moses and Aaron, that were running that. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt to the Lord. He hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave, along with all their belongings." The earth closed over them and they vanished from among the people. All the people around them fled when they heard the screams. And then it says, a fire blazed forth from the Lord. It wasn't the first time fire fell when Elijah called fire down. That was the second time. And 250 men who were offering incense and it consumed them. And the Lord said, tell the son of Aaron, Eleazar, the priest, to pull all the incense burners. And he went on and, and they... They did that kind of as a testimony to others. Hey, don't mess with God. I, I, I think what I'm trying to explain to you right now is lawlessness is opposite of righteousness or right living. The good news is we, we don't live in a situation where God's going to open the earth and swallow people today. We live in a different covenant. We live in the new covenant. The bad news is the thief, according to John 10.10, 10, comes to steal to kill and to destroy. So when people remove themselves from the covering or the protection of God through sin, through disobedience, through doubt, through murmuring and complaining, through rebellion against God and his commands for disobedience to what God's instructed you to do and you refuse to do it, you're removing yourself from his authority. Then Satan has authority to come into your life and start operating. But the truth is, as a Christian who's under the authority of Christ, Satan does not have the ability or the authority to come in and operate inside of your life. So really, he can only operate in your life when you give him permission to do so. 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let's keep that in mind. So when we operate in lawlessness, when we start operating in sin, it's the opposite of righteousness. It's the opposite of right living. We've been talking as we go through this series that as the culture moves further away from God, what do we expect is going to happen? We have a culture in decline. That's why we, the church, have to live righteous lives. That's why we talked last week about personal holiness and personal accountability to God. We have to live a righteous life as individuals. It starts with us, the church. And as we, the church, start living a holy life, as we, the church, start living righteous lives, then it starts influencing the culture around us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and I, I may have to quote it to you from a, a couple places, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, I know that in the English Standard Version, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is is lawlessness. And you know, when you're sinning, you're actually practicing lawlessness and you're not following God's command. I want to read that again to you out of just the, uh, the New Living so I can show it to you a little bit differently here. But it says, everyone who sins is breaking God's law for all sin is contrary to the law of God. So we know that all sin is contrary to the word of God. All that practice sin are practicing lawlessness because sin and lawlessness are the same. Now, we were made to be worshipers of the one true God. So all of us were made in the image of God. We were made to be image bearers. We were made in his image and in his likeness. And what happened is God put us here on earth to represent him and to be friends with him. And then sin came in and separated us from him. And there's a lot of humans that don't represent what Christ made them to be very well, including in the church, there's Christians that don't represent Christ well because they live in lawlessness. Now, this antichrist spirit that we're talking about, it goes against the new nature that God put inside you because all of us have been given a new nature at salvation as Christians. And when the culture starts attacking the image of God, you know that the, the culture has fallen under the sway of the Antichrist spirit. Today, we murder children in the name of convenience. They call it abortion. They're attacking the image of God because God made man and woman in his image. God made children in his image and we're made to be image bearers. But when we start taking innocent lives, we're attacking the image of God. In Genesis 1.27, God made man and woman, right? He made man and woman. He created us in his image. And what happens is when the culture starts attacking the image of God, we know that the Antichrist spirit is operating. When we look at the institution of marriage that God ordained or set up between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others, when the culture starts trying to redefine the definition of marriage, they're attacking the image of God. Personally, I think the creator of marriage is the one who has the right to determine the terms of marriage. I don't think that other people, even governments, have the authority to redefine an institution that they did not create. And by the way, marriage is a picture of the covenant that we have with Christ. That's the one thing he puts his relationship with us, he compares it to the marriage covenant. I'll talk about marriage again in a second. I have never seen such selfishness in the culture. I've never met so many narcissistic people. 
I've never met so many angry people. I've never met so many broken and hurting and lost people as I see when I walk out into the world today. I mean, people can't even drive down the street anymore without getting frustrated and angry with everyone. I, I've been guilty of that. <laughs> but the truth is, if we're practicing sin, we're not representing Christ well. It should not be a habitual practice in any believer's life, in their lifestyle. Many Christians don't realize they're not operating under God's authority because they're not submitted even to one another. Let's go to that. In the marriage covenant, the Bible says we submit to one another. And I, I understand the principle of headship, I do. And, and I understand that. But I also understand honor and respect in loving one another. And what happens is in a marriage covenant as a husband and wife, I don't claim to have all of the information. In fact, God put us together as a partnership. My wife has some of the information and I have some of the information. So it would be very selfish of me to make statements like, well, I'm the man and this is how it's gonna be because I'm the head of the home. But the truth is, you know, my wife has the information we need so that we can successfully govern our family and our life, or she has some of the information we need. Now, there's times when after prayer and dialogue, we still disagree and someone has to make a decision. And when that happens, I have to prayerfully go before God and consider what we're looking at. And you know, I've learned Every time that happens, I don't always go the way that I feel. Sometimes I'll, I'll yield and say, you know what, let's go with the information my wife has and we'll go in that direction on the matter. Why would I be so arrogant to think that I have all the answers? Why would anyone be so arrogant as to think they have all the answers? And, and the truth is, these are things where people walk out from under God's authority and there's so much active strife in their marriage, they wonder why God doesn't even hear their prayers. When we're looking at these things, when we're looking at this antichrist spirit and this that's going on in the earth today, people lack personal accountability. I should throw one more thing in there, let's reverse. When I am talking to my children, I do say I am the father, I'm the dad. You're the children, it's not really up to them in their opinion, my job is to train them. My job is to lead them in the things of God. My job is not to dialogue with them about the best solution, right? So I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna govern the home as I see that God is showing us in the scriptures. And, and rebellion is found in the hearts of children, so our job is to, to get the rebellion out as best we can by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I have good kids. I'm not saying my kids are rebellious. I'm just saying all children have some rebellion in them. It's part of the sin nature that we all inherited from Adam, which is why we have to go to the cross and die daily. Now, we as individuals lack personal accountability sometimes. There's people that refuse to make themselves accountable to anyone. There's no one speaking into their life. There's no one that can ask them the hard question. You are playing with fire, sir, or you are playing with fire, ma'am, because you're putting yourself out there saying, I am good enough on my own and I don't need other people, I don't need the body of Christ, I don't need any authority inside of my life, and I think when you do that, you're putting yourself out there on the edge. And I know maybe some of you had a bad experience with a mentor, maybe you had a bad experience with someone in a position of authority, but it still does not negate the fact that we need to mutually be accountable to one another. In fact, there's some of you right now that are sick and weak and the Bible specifically addresses when we confess our sins one to another and ask the elders to pray, then healing will come. 
Just, just a thought on that one there. That wasn't in the notes. That's a bonus for all of you. You know, but if you don't desire any accountability in your life, if you don't desire to answer for your behaviors, really you're operating in an antichrist spirit. You're operating in lawlessness. And we see this because people who are lawless always bring destruction in their life. They always end up in destruction because that's where lawlessness leads to. Just like sin produces death, lawlessness always produces destruction. So I want you to also be aware of what you believe. In Matthew 24, 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. You know, we live in a day and hour where people get deceived all the time. Even the elect, even saints get deceived. And any message that you're listening to should be scrutinized and it should be scrutinized in light of the scriptures. You know, we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 118 that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to people that are per perishing. We know that 1 Corinthians 118 tells us the, the message of Jesus is going to divide people because there's people that want light and they love God and there's people that love darkness and they love darkness. They love Satan. They don't always say they love Satan, but if they love darkness, that's who they serve. And in, in two or three weeks, we'll get to, I think it's in three weeks, we'll get to John 8, where Jesus talks about who's your father. And your father can be the devil if you're not serving the one true father in heaven. So we know that the message of the cross is going to divide, but there's a lot of messages out there that they don't unite people, they divide us. I mean, come on, how many of you like Coke versus Pepsi? Kidding. There's much more serious messages out there that divide people. And we have to choose, is the message going to align with the Word of God and the truth from the Word of God is going to divide people? Well, we know that. We know that people that are perishing are going to hate the message of the cross. You know, people that are living a sinful life, they don't want to hear truth from God's Word because they like their sin. So we, we understand there are some things that divide, that divide. But there's many things that we divide over that are just opinions, they're speculation, and they're not really biblical truths. These things we have to be careful of. You know, and I'll say it again and again and again as I go through this series. There's a lot of information floating around today and we have to be careful not to demonize people because they have an opinion different than you. <laughs> we have to be careful, okay? Especially when it's not something that's rooted in biblical truth. If some of you like Coke and some of you like Pepsi, that's great. <laughs> Personally, I don't prefer either of them. <laughs> but, you know, you have to choose what you think. Look to the Word of God. If the Scriptures align your belief system, that's good. But if your belief system is not rooted in the Word of God, what's it rooted in? Too many times we put humanistic philosophies in the place of God's Word and it creates division, it creates conflict. Now I want to go... I want to try to work through part of 1 John chapter 2 a little bit. And I'm going to start, maybe today I'm going to start in verse 3. Because in, in verses 1 and 2, he kind of establishes that Jesus is righteous and he sacrificed and paid the debt of our sin. But in verse 3, we'll pick up. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, they're a liar. It says that person is a liar and not living in the truth. So now we're looking at a situation where there's people that know God 
And there's people that say they know God. Because see, if you know God, you'll do the things that Jesus says. And if you're doing the things that Jesus says, I assure you, your whole lifestyle should be rooted in love. Because we've talked about in the past that the whole heartbeat of Christianity is rooted in the love of God. It's the goodness, it's the love of God that brings men to repentance. You know, there's too many of you out there, Christians, that are trying to do the Holy Spirit's job and convict people of sin. I don't have to convict people of sin. I preach the Word of God, it's going to convict people of sin because the Holy Spirit, when you're preaching His Word, is going to convict people of sin. We have to be careful not to try to do the Holy Spirit's work. Let's not think that we're better than Him or put ourselves in our, His shoes so that we can do His job better than He can. Now, that said, if people are not obeying God's commandments and they're, they're a liar because they're not operating in the truth, you know, conversely, people that obey God's Word truly show how completely they love him. The more you love God, the more you're going to obey what he asks you to do in his word. This is how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus live his life? Humbly. He was under God's authority. You know, he loved people. He healed all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. He ministered to the needs of the people around them. So Jesus, he purposed to live the life as a spirit-filled believer, kind of, essentially, really, he walked around with the Holy Spirit, and he listened to God, and he obeyed. And whatever the Father told him to do, he went and did, and he was obedient even unto death. Let's jump down to verse 9. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates their fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. How can we as believers say we're living in the light of God, yet hate others, especially others who call themselves Christians? You know, the truth is I'm horrified by some of the things I find on the internet where you've got Christians tearing down Christians. You know, I understand there's some essential doctrines that we need to stay with that is orthodox truth in Christianity. But once we get outside of the essentials, there is, you know, some differences of opinion on things. There is some things where the scriptures kind of give us a little bit of evidence on this side or a little bit on this side, and you kind of have to pick one. And on those non-essentials, there's a lot of division and, and, you know, tongues, speaking in tongues is one of the hugest ones I see out there today because it draws such a line in Christianity where there's some people that are so opposed to tongues because it went out with the first century church and others, they speak in tongues and they build themselves up in the, the most holy faith on a daily basis, as Paul says we're supposed to do. We're tongue talkers here, you know, we believe in speaking in unknown tongues. We're charismatic, we're Pentecostal. You know, in the public assembly, when we're having a church service like this, you won't see that too often unless it's going to be interpreted. But for your personal prayer life, that's something you should be doing on a daily basis. However, it's a divisive issue in the body. I don't think it's a salvation issue, but I absolutely believe it causes division. And people fight and they tear each other down and they call each other false prophets. And I'm like, goodness, people, we need to stop drawing our swords, as we talked about last week, on each other and start aiming our swords at the enemy who is Satan, who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by darkness. So if you love people, you're going to walk in the light, you're going to love others. If you're living in darkness, it's going to be evident by the way you treat your fellow brothers and sisters. Let's jump down to verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father 
in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. They say it like this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Really, if you name a sin, I can probably put it in one of those three categories. And if you love the world system and the things that are in it, you're going to love sin. And we were Christians, so we're called out of the world. We're kind of called out, we're chosen, you know, and, and we're in the world, but we're not of it, which means because we're in the world, we're supposed to represent the light of Christ as his ambassadors or his image bearers here on earth. But too many times we get confused and we start taking on the nature and the character of the world system. And then when we get comfortable in our sin, the world can't tell us apart from Christ. It should. But if, 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 they, if they, let me say that again. I think I said that backwards. If you look like the world and they can't tell that you live differently, you're not representing Christ. We should, as Christians, stand out automatically by the way that we live. Why? Because we love light. We love the truth. We don't like darkness. We don't like sin. We operate in the principles that the Word of God teaches us. These sins are not from the Father, but are from this world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared, for this we know that the last hour has come. And you know, I think as we start ramping this up, as we're going into the end time plan that God has for the earth, and he really does have a plan, and he's gonna have a glorious church. But we see this Antichrist spirit keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up, and we see more and more people that are vehemently opposed to the nature and character of Christ. And the, and the stronger that spirit gets in the earth, I think the closer we are to the time of Christ's return. You know, do I think we're there yet? No, I think there's still some time. But in that time, we need to be busy. We need to be building. We need to be uh, moving forward. We need to be taking the message of hope and sharing it with others. So let's continue to pray for the lost. Just want to read a couple more verses. Verse 20, but you are not like that, for the Holy One has given you a spirit. And all of you know the truth, so I'm writing to you because you do not, you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. Who's a liar? Anyone that says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either, but anyone that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must be remaining faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father, and in this fellowship we enjoy the eternal life he promised us. So we see that when people start, again, denying the deity of Christ, when they start coming, Christ is not God's Son, well, then you're denying the Father as well. But if you acknowledge the Son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Father. So we know God loves humans. John 3 tells us that's why he sent Jesus to earth to restore humans to relationship with him. And really, sin is what separates us from God, our lawlessness, which is what sin is in its, in its fruit. You know, the fruit of sin is lawlessness, disobeying God's law. And all humans have sinned, and all humans have broken God's law, and because of that, they were separated from the Creator. They were not able to have relationship with God because of sin, because God's holy. 
When Jesus came and died, his blood was shed on the cross and he became a sacrifice for mankind's sin. When Jesus was sacrificed for mankind's sin, he made a way for man to be forgiven. When you and I repent of our sin and God forgives us of sin, we get restored to relationship with the Father and then we can gain eternal life and we can live forever with him. This is salvation or this is what they call being born again in the Bible. And, and what happens is at salvation, when you repent of sin and you acknowledge the work of Christ on the cross, that's when our whole life changes and he gives us a new heart, he gives us a new spirit and we can start living life as we say from the inside out. So I'd like to pray with you before I move on. And maybe you're watching us today, or maybe you're watching us in the future, but you're hearing this message. And if you pray this prayer, I want you to contact us and, and, and reach out to us so that I can have one of our pastoral team give you a call and start explaining to you some of the first steps of this new Christian life. So Father, we thank you that today, as individuals, we can repent for our sin we can repent for our love for the world system and the things that it offers. And we turn away from our selfish lifestyle. Father, we ask you to save us and we thank you that Jesus died so that we can be saved. We acknowledge the son, Jesus, as God and we thank you that he can take his rightful place on the throne of our heart and we will cast aside all other idols, including yourself. Today, Lord, we take up your nature and your character and we ask you, to forgive us of our sins and help us to let our light shine before others and live a holy, righteous life. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that today for the first time, please reach out to us. There's an email address, there's a, there's a telephone number, give us a call. We will have someone get in touch with you as soon as we can. Now I want to move on. There's a couple more things we want to talk about today, and I have a, a benediction at the end, so don't log off until we, until we pray at the end. But the first thing I want to do is let's celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we come together, one of the great things that we can do as the body of Christ is we celebrate his death and his resurrection until he comes again. And this is the new covenant that we live in today. Like I said, we don't live in the old covenant anymore. So the terms of that covenant are no longer in effect. We now live in the new covenant with Christ. The new covenant he cut at the cross. And in the new covenant, he gives us a command. Love God first and then love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Father, we thank you today as we have the bread in our hands. Lord, I thank you that you're the healer and you are the restorer of hearts. And that anyone that's in deception, Lord, I thank you that you're opening their eyes to truth so that they can see the light, the light of your righteousness, the light of your holiness. And today, Lord, as we, as we come to the table, I rebuke sickness and disease from everybody in every household. Lord, we have a covenant with you for health and for life, and we thank you that today we can access that by faith and that your power is being manifest in our lives today. In the name of Jesus. And you know, when Jesus was betrayed that night, he had the cup right, right before he was betrayed. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It represents his blood that was going to be poured out for all of mankind's sin. And as we have the cup in our hand, really, it's our celebratory meal. 
We get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We get to celebrate his death that brought us freedom. We get to celebrate his victory over Satan. And the truth is, if we align ourselves with God's purpose for our life, we can celebrate his victory over Satan. But if we don't align ourselves with God's purposes and plan and we rebel against God like Korah, or if we rebel against God like many others have over the years, you know, in disobedience, in doubt, in unbelief, we're not operating in God's best plan for our life. This is a great time for us as Christians to repent of our own shortcomings, of our own sins. This is a great time for us to search our hearts, allow God to speak to us and shine light on the dark areas and repent for the things in us that are not from Him. Repent for the wrong behaviors, repent for the wrong attitudes, repent for rebellion against God's plan and His authority. In this day, you know, we'll believe that God will set us free and bring healing and deliverance and freedom in our lives. So Father, I thank you for the cup in our hand. And Lord, you came to destroy the work of the evil one and this day we see that evident as we celebrate the cup, as we celebrate the cup that represents your blood. So I thank you for freedom, I thank you for deliverance, and I thank you for healing to be released now in Jesus' name. The next thing I want to talk to you about as we move on from the Lord's Supper and, and, and the good things that God has done for us is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8, and it says that, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Many of you listening have seen God's faithfulness in this area of finances and seed time and harvest, especially through the last couple of months. He's the way maker and he's the one that provides for all of our needs, especially in this context, you know, Paul's taking up an offering for the four. Now, every year on Father's Day, which is in two weeks, we take up a voluntary free will offering, and we ask you right now ahead of time to pray and ask the Holy Spirit if this is something that he wants you to be a participant in. Um, I'm not looking to show you lots of pictures and talk about things for an emotional response, you know. We really, and there's nothing wrong with setting goals in, in that. I'm just saying, I'm not looking for an emotional response. We're looking for people that are spirit-directed in their giving. And, and I'd like each of you, I want to challenge you, ask the Holy Spirit, would you like me to participate in the Abba offering this year? And let's give our best offering to God together. And yes, some, some people are a little challenged, and we know that some people it's a stretch of faith to give. Others, it's easy to give because you give out of your excess. But all of us, I want to challenge you, let's give our best offering to God in two weeks when we come together, and we're gonna trust that he's gonna get involved in our finances. So at this time, we're gonna receive our tithes and our offerings, and I'm gonna pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for the great opportunity to sow into your kingdom. And Lord, as we sow in faith, we expect and we believe that you get involved supernaturally in our lives, with our finances, that you rebuke the devourer from our household, and Lord, that we stretch out the money that you've entrusted to us so that we have more than enough so that we can take care of those that are in need around us. In this day, we look to you 
the one who brings hope, the one who brings freedom, and the one who makes a way in Jesus' name. My final thought for today, I'm going to pray again, <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to pray verses 9, 10, and 11. It's a prayer of the Apostle Paul, and he says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Have the greatest week of your life. We'll look forward to seeing you all next time. Hopefully, we're going to believe Jesus that we're going to be able to gather soon. God bless you all. Bye for now.